Welcome to another exciting episode of the Start Down Podcast. I appreciate you being on, and I'm excited today for multiple reasons. You know I did two solo episodes, and I was just telling our guest today, I'm like, I had such a great backlog of guests um, that I got a little lazy, and I was like, oh man, like I don't need to book any more guests, I'm good. And all of a sudden, my social media manager said to me, hey, like you're, you're kind of out of episodes. And I was like, oh man. Um, but we've had this on the calendar for a little while now. I'm excited to have today's guest on, and once again, Post 200 been terrible about this, but um, me and this guest got a lot in common. So Nathan, before I go down that road, though, I always say on the show, no one introduced themselves better than you. So why don't you give yourself a quick introduction, and then I'm going to spill the beans about our entire relationship and the past and all that good stuff. So <laughs> Awesome. So really quick, the uh, way I like to just um, you know introduce myself, I'm, my name is Nathan Connor, local, local for, South Floridian, raised in Broward County, Cooper City, um, and I'm a loan officer. I help people find the pathway to, to home ownership. And then honestly, just helping people navigate their home financing and how to manage the asset after they've owned it. Awesome. So if you're watching this, Nathan may look like a, a gentleman, a mature man. <laughs> but uh, I knew Nathan when Nathan uh, is another one of my former students. Uh, you know, we've had Pierre on before one of my former students, I think I think uh, I'm trying to think I think I've had a few other people, but uh, I actually taught Nathan very early on in my educational career. And and I talk about my educational career a lot early on and what I was doing because it was kind of like you mentioned, uh, we were talking off air, you know, kind of the Wild Wild West with the mortgage industry. It was kind of Wild Wild West in education. You know, technology was just emerging. We were early 2000s. You know, sure, there was podcast and video and like, you know, there was somewhat of the Internet, but it was so early on. Um, and, and honestly, Nathan was probably one of the better kids that I, I, I remember because he was just a good kid. He was a, he was a leader. He was he was a confident kid. He was he always did it. I knew he was going to do great things. And then talk about South Florida being the biggest small town you'll ever live in. I would see him everywhere. <laughs> so um, he worked in the restaurant and I know many times he walked up to my table and, and you know, uh, was my waiter. Or I'd bump into him around town. It was always great seeing him and always had a great smile on his face. And I'm not surprised now that he's helping families find homes because that's always what he was. He was always reaching out and helping other people. So um, fun fact, like I said, I don't like to divulge too much about the guests. I like to let them tell the story. Um, but Nathan, talking about that, though, you know, how does growing up in South Florida really help you in, in what you're doing now and knowing the community of being being here your entire life. Thanks, Mike. And um yeah, so I mean it obviously we're when we're talking about people with home ownership and stuff, it's it's a big it's a big leap of faith right now. Yeah. Um and not really that it's a leap of faith on our side from a mortgage standpoint and kind of as a even as a real estate professional, but it, it's it's the what we tell people it's the largest purchase your largest purchase you're going to make to date. And likely in your life for most people. And so being a local guy, what I always like to tell people is I grew up down here. I remember what it was like when Pine Island didn't go all the way through, when there was a cow pasture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I've seen it change. And being a restaurant guy, being local, I always tell people it's the home is it's yeah, you buy the house and yeah, you're going to you're going to get appreciation and stuff. But it's the feeling you get of the home. And for me and my wife, I've really felt that during the pandemic, during COVID, you know, a lot of time for a lot of people, it was very rough for me and my wife, fortunately, being we hadn't been together that long and in, 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 in confined air in a confined area. A lot of people had it, but you touched on it being in the, in the restaurant industry. I was a restaurant professional. I wasn't a bartender. I wasn't even a manager. I would consider myself a restaurant professional. And there's a few of us down here because there is a, such a large restaurant community that I would consider restaurant professionals. And 
being that I spent a lot of time in the restaurant, I love being around people and stuff, but the pandemic really brought us home. And it was the sense of security that we had while being in the home that I want to give to other people. And for that reason, um, and being local and being an expert in my area, being like, hey, if you want great Thai food, go over here. If you want great Italian food, go over here. People feel comfortable about doing it. Remember, it's it's no I can trust. Yeah. So if I can get you, if I can be like, listen, I'm just going to call Nate, you know, if I have a question about my mortgage or I have a question about where to go eat, where to go grab a good slice of pizza, anything like that. That's what I want from my customers. It's what I've always wanted when I had guests at the restaurant. And it's especially what I want from my clients right now. I want them to be, feel like I'm just not only their financial expert, but also their local expert as well. I love it. You got a guy. You got a guy, right? I mean, <laughs> <Got a> guy. <laughs> I, and I and I love that answer. You know, you mentioned your wife, and I and I, as you're saying that, and I think of our time together when I taught you, and and um, obviously, I think it was uh, you graduated. I think in 05, right? 05 or 06, around there, um, which is about when I met my wife. And I remember um, she was finishing college. I was already teaching, and then she was getting a teaching degree. And we were both teachers. And and when we got married, everyone's like, oh, that's great, you know, but you're never going to be able to afford a house. You know, this is in 2007. And we got married, we rented an apartment for about a year and a half, two years. And it was always like, man, well, we're teachers, we can't afford a house. We can't afford that on a teacher's salary. Um, but oddly enough, and yes, the market crashed and that helped a little bit. Um, we were able to get into a foreclosure. But talk to me a little bit about that misconception that a lot of people may have of like, well, I can't afford a house or I can't get a house and they're maybe overpaying in rent <laughs> when they could probably end up buying a home. I mean, why do people have that misconception? So I, I love social media and for the, the, for what it gives, the information that it gives and how fast it is. But with that, it's also, I always tell my clients, so it's, it's a library of half truths because it's only yeah. a 30 second glimpse of something. And when we're talking about mortgage products, there's a lot of laws that, dictate what we're able to say on air, what we're able to write down. And it mm -hmm. really has to do with the numbers. And I, I always use my the example of my of my my journey on buying a house. It took us a year and a half just to save up. And we had to make a lot of sacrifices, you know, yeah. and it depends on the time. Um, you know, in 2020, 2021, there was a lot of great people that had income, had great savings, you know, great qualifications to buy homes. They just couldn't. You know, it was, it was just like it was a wild, wild west time. So for, for most people, there is a misconception that you need the 20 percent down. And it's it's that's just not true. And and a lot of times people think, oh, I already have my first house. So I'm going to have to put the 20 percent down. Not true again. You know, for most people, it's going to be anywhere from three to five percent. And then once we look at it, you know, depending on your financial situations, maybe we put a little bit more down if you have it. Maybe we don't need to. So what I always tell people is, is it's not a straight line. You know what your neighbor got, and yeah, you might have the same credit score as your neighbor. You guys ran ran your credits together. You went on Experian and all the bureaus <laughs> and looked at your credit score, and you're like, okay, so this is what my mortgage payment is going to be. No, you know things are very different. Everything's different, and right now in this market, what we're telling people is affordability is a big issue. Mm. It, it just is it, it, right now, and it'll continue to be an issue for most people. It's just there are in this point in time. There's there's programs out there, especially with this great one that the governor put out, which is Hometown Heroes. It's had three funding sessions and it would help, you know, people that and people that are employed in Florida to stay in Florida because we need mm -hmm. there's certain services that we need to be a vibrant community, to be right. to want to raise a family down here. Teachers, um, you know, firefighters, police officers, these you know, not everyone wants to do those jobs, but we need those jobs. Those are very needed jobs down here in a in a in a, in a vibrant community, like I said. And so, um, 
you know, I, what I always recommend to people is talk to your loan officer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got someone that's very salesy, there's plenty of great loan officers out here that structure the application and work with clients. And, and I, what I always tell people at the beginning is my goal at the end of this conversation, at the end of this application is to give you pre-approval letter. If I can't give you that, it's going to be a list of instructions on what to do to get that pre-approval letter. And a lot of times it's the guidance, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. A, it could be a mountain, but it's showing the path. It's like, listen, we're going to go this way. We're going to hang it right here. And then we're going to get over that mountain. And that's, and that's what it is. So, and I want to dig in on that a little bit, because you bring up a great point, right? And I think in today's society, everyone's like, oh, I could DIY this, right? I could, I could go online. I could, I could go on, uh, and we won't name any, any uh, spaceship mortgages or anything like that, you know, but I could go online and do this myself, right? I could go online and look it up. And we know even real estate, right? I'm going to do, I'm going to do a for sale by owner. I mean, like a lot of times people want to DIY it and it's not that they won't get through the process, right? But the idea is the money they may leave on the table. They don't even know about why is it important though to go and you kind of hit on this a little bit i'd like you to dig into it a little more though why is it important to go with a mortgage professional uh like yourself instead of trying to diy it that's a great question um i mean there's there's obviously the value that the professional should be bringing to the table um you know and they're going to be able to navigate and guide you through th- certain experiences that they might have that they might have had now perfect example is i had a, a family that was a Vet, they're veterans. VA loans are very straightforward. They're not very difficult to use. Um, great credit score, but you know the and 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 in this time right now, we're seeing a lot of companies switch to AI. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though you've got the mortgage professional, even a lot of our own companies are switching to AI. And and the thing that we always say tell to our clients regarding AI is, once it's seen, it can't be unseen. So. You might have a document that you think is great and it looks good on paper, but there might be a very large deposit that maybe Uncle Joe sent you for, you know, money he owed you, he owed you for a Super Bowl bet. Who knows? You know, but if you can't explain that, where it's from and that it's completely legal, boom, you've got a denial. You know, so a mortgage professional, that's your first barrier as far as reviewing documents with you and saying, okay, this one. They're going to have questions about this document. They're going to have questions about this. Before we send it in blindly, we need to explain this. We maybe need to collect one, two additional documents to help explain something like this. The other side of it is, is you, you kind of touched on it. You'll get to the end, but what, you might get to the end. Let's just say that. You, you, might, you might get to the end uh, uh, through the transaction, but in what condition? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of, like you said, are you going to be leaving money on the table? You know, are you is the rest of the family going to be completely pissed at you because of how the transaction went? I always tell clients, my goal, I try to do a thorough doc collection, thorough application at the very beginning. So that way, the rest of the roller coaster isn't that bad because yes. it, you have this, the actual journey of looking for the house, which can be an emotion is usually an emotional roller coaster trying to get the offer accepted. And then you've got the underwriting part, which is where I come back in. And that can be a little bit of a emotional roller coaster as well, because maybe I, I missed something on the credit report, or maybe there was another report that was pulled and there's something from when you were a teenager that didn't pop up on our credit report, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all sorts of things that can, that can come up. And so the professional is going to give you that path. You're not going to have that path through a sky sh- spaceship mortgage or any of those other type of companies that are going to use AI drip that are going to be AI driven. And then yep. there's just 
straight up doc collection. You know, they're going to they're going to collect so many documents. And what a lot of people, the misconception is, is that, well, if Bank of America does it or if this lender does it, why can't you do it? You know, and so each lender has their own guidelines. We all are are bound by agency guidelines. And then below that, we all have our own guidelines. Right. And so some banks are stricter than others. Some focus more on the servicing side versus the actual, you know, closing like the application the purchase process so it depends on what the expertise of the lender is as well hmm. fascinating you know and i remember that i remember when we were buying the house for Gurnley and my wife was like you seem nervous till the end i'm like yeah because until we turn the key in that door i said i knew the whole thing could fall apart but i didn't let i didn't let her necessarily <laughs> know that but i knew that could happen you know and, and i want to go back a little bit nate because we were we were talking a little bit about when when you were a student in, in high school and um, obviously I mentioned my son now is a sophomore at the same high school, which is probably when I, when I, uh, you know, taught you and worked with you in campus ministry and a lot of things we did. What are though about, do you think, cause you've been very entrepreneurial your whole life, um, kind of within companies, very entrepreneurial in a lot of ways as well. What experience though, from maybe like, you know, and I know we did retreats together and, and you played sports. I mean, what experience from your childhood do you feel maybe outside of the classrooms of some of the things you participated in helped prepare you for the career path you went down today? It's been a lot. I mean, I my I had to thank my parents because they definitely threw me and my brother into a lot of different situations outside. Um, my family was very much involved in the Catholic Church. Um, we went to Catholic school, um, but outside of that, we were all so parishioners at St. Gregory's. I always thought my dad would be a deacon at some point. He's very <laughs> faithful. He's actually a baptized Catholic, so he oh, was nice. baptized. Yeah. So and and. And as Catholics, we know the difference. Born Catholics were terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, yeah, yeah. it's always the it's always the guests that treat it better than the than the actual person that lives in the house, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we and you know in, in McCarthy, we used to say that. And I've actually thought about this this question more recently. And so, for me in middle school, it actually started in middle school. Um, mm-hmm. I was in a program called peer counseling, mm-hmm. and in there we specialized. It was a it was a leadership program, kind of, and at that time, I was um, I had done some anger management with when I was younger. I have, you know, and I, I I don't know if I needed it. I, you know, if you ask me and my brother today, it was just us being boys. But you know, they we would fight, and so my parents thought we had anger issues, and so you know, maybe I had a little bit. But um, it was in that, that I really connected with my therapist and my doctor. At that point, I was like, I want to do this. I want to help. This is where I think the the helping people kind of bug came into me, and so I jumped into peer counseling where we did peer mediation, um, you know, a lot of mentorship and stuff like that. And so I learned how to listen to people and ask questions and frame questions in a way that maybe, you know, some people don't. I became very aware of my words. And then once I got into high school, you know, we and McCarthy did really a great job, I think, of extracurricular activities and really promoting that and instilling in us, like, listen, if you want to go to the next level, if you want to make it to the UF, if you want to make it to Florida State, you need to do extracurricular activities and you need to do good ones. Like, yeah, there's the fun ones, but then you also need to get into, like, I forget, um, there was pastoral ministry, which I was a part of. And then there was a few other ones that were also leadership and mentorship type programs in there. Um, and I think the culmination of all of that, and honestly, I had great teachers. I can't, I can't deny that, that, you know, at McCarthy, we had really, we had really good, good faculty. And then once I got into Florida State, it was, it was cruising. I mean, I, I had, I had learned so much at McCarthy, it 
built such a great foundation for me to grow on. And then um, it wasn't until I got to FIU, I took one sales class. I didn't think I was going to take go into marketing or sales. I took one sales class and I realized that they were talking about follow-up. They were talking about other things that we deal with in sales all the time, communication, um, how you present yourself. And I was like, these are my dinner conversations. Yeah. Throughout my entire life, we dinner was a huge part at our house. Um, we always, I remember, you know, I was of the generation we were banned to be outside. It was, you weren't allowed inside until six o'clock, not even for water. Yep. You got to drink from the hose. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I hear that, man. I hear yeah. that. The la last and great generation, man. Last great generation. Exactly. And so we, um, I remember coming in and my dad would always, he was, he was a salesman. He worked for St. Michelle Wine Estates for 30 years. And he would always talk about, you know, working with other salespeople and his distributor and some of the complaints and stuff like that, that he would have. And as soon as I, I took that class, that light bulb went in, clicked in, and it was off to the races. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it, so that's, that's awesome. a little bit of my path. And then the entrepreneurial stuff, I, I don't know where I got. I think it was on the ball, my time at on the ball. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think for me, like salary was always just like, I don't know, like you're going to cap me. Like this is all I can make. But what if I do better? Yeah, I can't make more. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I think maybe that's where the entrepreneurial bug came in was just always questioning and being like, but if I do better, can I get more? Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And I want to talk about before we get on on the ball and obviously, well, we could sidebar on that a little bit. I mean, the thing on the ball, just a great community, the Noodlebergs, Steve and Mark. I mean, you mentioned you've known Mark since childhood and, and you, you had the pleasure of working with them. And I think a great community. And before we dive into that, I do want to talk to about your restaurant experience because I wrote about this in my book. Um, I don't think there's anything that prepares you for the entrepreneurial or sales mindset more than a restaurant. I mean, it's one of those places where it's just calm and it's quiet and you walk in and you kind of like start working in usually like a calm state, depending on what shift you come in on. And then all of a sudden hell breaks loose, right? For like this period of time. And then it's like calm again. It's like the bad weather we just had the last few days here in South Florida. But um, talk to me about that experience in, in working in the restaurants and in learning about people though, and understanding how to work in that chaos and the, and the stop and start and the quick. And, and what'd you learn about self-discipline through the restaurant experience? The self that took me a while. Uh, <laughs> so the restaurant industry is a great industry. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, you know, I've come across a lot of people they will call it blood money and stuff like that. If you've got the bug, you've got the bug. And yeah. I, I definitely got the bug. I got the bug very early on in my life. Um, I think it was probably from my dad working in the wine industry that I kind of developed that that restaurant bug. And then being down here, you know, like you said, we, we always talk about it. it is a, the what is it, the largest small town, yeah. you know, and so, you know, with my dad's, you know, connections and networking stuff, I ended up meet, seeing a lot of people that I grew up around that saw me as a young man or growing up in high school and in middle school. And so I was actually fortunate to get in with Anthony's Coal Fire Pizza pretty early. Um, I wasn't part of the original crew at Fort Lauderdale or anything like that, but we I joined in within the first 10 years, um, and it was probably by location five. So I started at Plantation a few weeks after they had opened. Um, and then from there, it was he. We did such a good job of keeping it such a like a family feeling restaurant, and I love that. I think it, mm -hmm. and I think it's part of it being an Italian restaurant. You, you talk a lot about it being Italian on, on on your social media, and I love it. 
you know, and it's, it's for me, I always, I dated a lot of Italian girls growing up and I loved the Sunday dinners. The fam- like I, I had mentioned it, family dinner was a big part of my household. And so when I got older, you know, we don't do that as much. And so, but when I was dating some of the girls I was dating, the Sunday dinners was it for me. So, and it's very common with Latin families. They don't have that Sunday dinner as much, but the family dinners are big gatherings. It's a big deal. And I thought Anthony's did a great job of doing that. And they also did a good job of bringing people up, you know, I don't, that were, that had leadership qualities. And I don't think that they did that on purpose, mm. um, but it just by accident, it ended up happening. And, uh, and in doing that and surrounding myself with a couple of key individuals that were at that restaurant, um, I'm actually having lunch with one of those guys on Tuesday, um, who I consider my, one of my two restaurant mentors. Awesome. Um, both of which I met at my time at Anthony's Coal Fire Pizza. And, um, you know, so it, in in my time at Anthony's and coming up, I became part of the training team. So we would actually, what they would do is we were responsible for, once the building was done, we would come in two weeks before opening and we would set everything up. Every restaurant had to have that same feel. They had to have, we would be the ones that would listen, tell the pizza guys, listen, you're putting too much sauce on the pizza. We're just waiters, you know, yeah. but at the end of the day, we knew everything. We knew how Anthony wanted it. We'd be like, guys, if Anthony's here and he sees this, he's going to lose his head. Like, you got to make sure you got enough salt, you know. So, and that was the one thing about that restaurant group that at that point in time that they did, it's such a great job, is making sure the culture from Fort Lauderdale was the same culture that they had in Connecticut or in New Jersey or in New York. And it was because they brought teams that were so familiar with the culture at the South Florida restaurants that we then spread it throughout the the, the chain. And we were responsible to be in those locations for the first four weeks. The first two weeks, we would usually have no days off. Wow. It would be a really, really tough time. Um and very little sleep. That's just being in the restaurant industry. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you burn the midnight oils. And right before I did that, I had come across, I that's when I had met, um, his name's Darren Vernali. He's, um, he's no longer in the restaurant industry, but he came in. I had just gotten suspended by a manager. He's just, me and him didn't see eye to eye. And it's a very, it can be very personal in restaurants. And so he, yes. he kind of was like, <laughs> he was like, you're fired from my restaurant. But I'm actually no longer the manager, so I'm going to let the next manager decide whether you can come back. I was like, hey, really? <laughs> like, come on. I've been here for three years. Like, everyone knows me. Like, what are you doing? So I spoke to Darren, and Darren was like, I already know about you. I've heard about you. Come on board. Darren was was crazy. <laughs> he is crazy. But it was fun. And Darren was – so Darren worked at um, Southport Raw Bar in the early 90s. So he's talk about small local community. Like this guy knows everyone in the restaurant, especially in the Fort Lauderdale restaurant scene. He saw me burning the midnight oil and he kind of pulled me aside and he used to tell me, if you're going to lick, yeah, what did he say? If you're going to burn the hellfires at night, you need to wake up and lick the ashes. Yeah. And I don't know if, you know, depending on your audience, I don't know if, if that'll resonate with people. But what I took that as is, listen, if you're going to go play at night, you better, you still have a responsibility. You need yep. to show up at work. And this was the first time I had come across someone in the restaurant community that took that level of work with that much pride. And the one thing you had to know about Darren is we worked in plantation. Darren worked in Pompano. 
we knew about Darren in plantation. You would have customers coming into plantation and they'd be like, Oh, you don't treat us like Darren doesn't pump enough. You don't do this or that. So to hear someone and kind of, and he took me under his wing. And I I always told him that you you took me under your wing. You took care of me at a time where I could have very well gone off Vera Gray, you know, (laughs) yep. And it happens. And that's what I always tell young people. It's like, listen, you need to get a mentor in this restaurant industry because we don't have 401ks. We don't have anyone holding our hands at the end of the day, at the end of our shifts. And you can find the bottom of that bottle very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll is is almost synonymous with the restaurant industry, right? It's not just, it's its own form of Hollywood. And and like you said, you, I know the, even when I worked in restaurants, it's always interesting to me, the mix of like young people and veterans, right? And like the different advice different veterans would give you, like, like this is going to suck you dry and kill you, or this could really be something good. And it's almost like anything in life, right? It's like, it's like, it's dangerous. But like you said, if you know how to manage that fire and you could lick the ashes, <laughs> you, you could get the best of both worlds. My problem is everybody just wants to have fun in the fire, uh, but nobody wants to do the dishes, you know? Oh, and it's, and you really gotta, you gotta take care of yourself. And, and yeah. you talked about, you asked about discipline and down here we go through waves and what, and, and waiters and restaurant people, we're not great at saving. They're not great at saving. And so, you know, very much paycheck to paycheck. And so you start to learn this discipline. You have to. Otherwise, you're just not going to survive. You're going to burn out. And so, you know, for me, the discipline really kicked in when I first had, when I had my daughter, Joelle. Like, I got a, I got a, a mouth to feed. It's like, you got, you just got to do it. And so that's when I took what I learned with the, with noodle, with Noodleberg's with Darren and Anthony's and I kind of made it my own with the guys at Brass Tap and kind of, you brought it up as an entrepreneur. Um, and I tried to teach a lot of my staff that that's what I, I would try right. to tell them is listen, at the end of the day, no one made our life decisions for us. And I think this goes for, this, this goes, holds true for a lot of people. You got to enjoy the the journey though. You can't just, you know, be happy with the paychecks and stuff like that. You've actually got to enjoy this grind because it's not always going to be, you know, roses. It's not always going to be sugar coated. So you've got to enjoy the actual grind because I don't know who, who said it the other day, but it was like being an entrepreneur or a business owner, it's like 90% chaos. It's like 2% is like, you finally feel like you got it. The other 2%, you feel like you're going to, you're, you're, you're one step away from losing it all. And then like 6%, it's like just, you know, it's you're, you're managing. But 90% of the time, you feel like it's absolute chaos. That's what it's like being a restaurant manager most of the time because yeah. no, it's you true. never know who's going to show up, you know? So, true. and it's, it's, it's re- the restaurant industry has a lot to give. But I think with that, in order for it to have a lot to give, it can take away a lot. It has to be both have to hold true. And so, um, it depends on, I think, the, the mindset going into it and what you're going to make out of it. You know, my last yeah. stint with with the guys at Anthony's was actually more recently with, at Andy's Live Fire Grill in Fort Lauderdale. And I loved my time there. It was the first time that I got a chance to be a, be a restaurant manager without the responsibilities of being a manager. It was just a bartender. And I loved it because the guys would come in there, all of Anthony's guys would be like, what are you doing behind the bar? You, you know, where are the girls? You're like, oh, you know what? I just took my outfit off. Let me go get it for you. I'll come back. I got a nice wig. I'm not going to shave, though. <laughs> After a few drinks, you won't even notice. It'll be fine. Exactly. It'll be fine. <laughs> but it was, um, 
it was at that point in time that I realized that I had to make a shift. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's the restaurant industry is a young man's game at a certain point. And then you kind of got to shift into something else. And being in that community, in that Fort Lauderdale community, at that kind of restaurant, I was fortunate and blessed to be around a lot of entrepreneurs, probably a lot of guys that, you know, you see at, at some of the JA events and stuff. And um, it was my exposure to them and seeing kind of how they lived and seeing, you know, and they would talk to me, you know, being at the bar, you get, get a lot of, you get a lot of chance to talk to people and have like a real conversation with them instead of being at the table. And it would kill me because once a week I'd get a call, I'd get a, a question. You mind if I ask you something? What are you doing back here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? And yeah. so I knew it was just, I, I needed to break away. It was you know, and I, and I love that you say that. it's funny because I I my sister's younger than me and I tell her all that and she her she works at a news station her brother's a cop, um and and you mentioned they have all the things that we don't as entrepreneurs four hundred one k I mean like they're they're on a cruise right now it doesn't matter. they don't even check their work email they have somebody that just slid in or do their job while they're gone and then when they come back they slide back out you know this like very simple thing and I always tell them like you'd be great starting your own business or being entrepreneurial. And she's like, you know what? I, I like where I'm at. I'm comfortable. I know where my paycheck comes. Like I'm good. Like I, I don't know if I can deal with that volatility. Also, you kind of mentioned too, behind the bar, people are like, what are you doing? What have been doing here? You know, you needed to change. How do you know when you're like where you should be or when you should move? Cause I think that's a, something that a lot of people have a hard time seeing, especially as entrepreneurs. Like maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur and you should be going to get a more stable job. Uh, and sometimes you shouldn't be in that stable job and you should go to be an entrepreneur. How did you determine like, know when it's time to jump? But, well, to be honest, um, I always wanted to be work for Southern Glaciers, Wine and Spirits. Mm. That's that's where I always thought that's where most professionals go to retire. Restaurant professionals go to retire. That's, <laughs> you know, I think when I interviewed with one of them, they said, this is the restaurant professional's retirement plan. And I yes. said, actually, yeah. And my dad being in the wine industry um, for 30 plus years, that's what I always wanted to be. I, I loved that industry, uh, you know. You'd be around my dad and his friends, and they'd always laugh. They'd be like, and they lived great lives. I mean, they—he spent a month, four weeks in between Italy and Greece with my mom in the in the mid two thousands. So, like, they had—I mean, they the travel, the food, everything was great. And for me, I mean, I had the pedigree. I had the restaurant industry experience. I had the the I had a little bit of sales experience, and then I had a I had the education. I couldn't get a second interview. I couldn't pay anyone to give me a second chance on that. And I would interview great. I would call follow up and they'd be like, you got to the last call. And I would be like, what was the decision? Like what, what, what made the decision? And it was some bureaucratic stuff that I won't, won't get involved in. And so it was, it, it was a tough time for me. And I remember it to this day. I actually want to go back to Andy's and take a picture of the bar in this moment in time because it was a beautiful Sunday and I had my phone was going off. Everyone was like, come to the pool, come to this pool party, bring the kids. We're going to the beach, you know, this and that. And I was in an empty bar, completely empty bar overlooking federal highway. And it was just beautiful, beautiful day. And I was like, this isn't for me anymore. Mm. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to, to make the, to, to cut it and doing it on my own or whatever, but I got to make a change. I got to do something. And I always thought it was at that point, I thought I was going to get into the auto industry. And my mom actually had a conversation with me. And like I said, my, I had family members that were loan officers before 08. A lot of them lost a lot after the, the crash in 08. And so it, the mortgage industry always scared me. Yeah. Um, 
But I think that fear, and we talked about it, gave me a mutual respect for it. And she told me, she's like, have you ever thought of this? You know, like you, I think you'd be great. You have the organization, you're obviously very personable and you just, you don't want to quit. Like, I think this is a great time to get in. This was in 2019. So right before the, the great refi boom. And I would be up, I would work a solid 12 hours. I would always work doubles, you know, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd see guys my age that were bartenders would be like, dude, how are you on your feet for that long? You know, and I would suffer, but I mean, it, I had to make, I had to make money. I had to, you know, feed the family. And yeah, sure. I remember in December, I was like, I don't want to do this. I was, I would get up at two, three o'clock in the morning to study my, my, for my NMLS exam. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I, I was like, if I don't do this now, I won't do it. So I need to do this. And then push came to shove. I ended up getting my license mid-February of 2020. The restaurant closed March 14th, 2020. Wow. Full-time loan officer at that point. And more recently, obviously, the market's rough. And there are a lot of people in this industry that are struggling. And there's a, there's some believe that maybe this doesn't come back. And there's a huge shift to going to AI. And I think... Most people are like, do I want to stay in this or do I want to like your family members? Do I want to just secure a good living? And for me, it's, I think it's the, that the question that won't get answered is what if I had done this a little bit longer? So I listen, you know, I think, and that comes from my Catholic faith. Maybe I'm just crazy, but I look for the signs when I'm really struggling. I'll look and see, you know, I don't go dig for it in podcasts and stuff like that, but I'll let it come to me. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw an Alex Hormozzi post where he talked about, you know, the quitting point or when, and that's when, you know, you, you know, a little bit about what you want to do. And then you get in and you get a little bit of success and then you find out what it's really like. And then you, you, it kind of goes down. And that's usually when people quit. And then there's a huge pr- pr- propulsion up after that. That's what I'm trying to. Run. And mm-hmm. so, and I, I keep getting signs. You know, I don't know if it's the universe. I don't know if it's just me looking for them. But, you know, there's certain, and it's just taking those steps. It's the action. It's the activity. It's getting, it's actually enjoying the grind. If I didn't enjoy the grind, if I didn't enjoy talking about, you know, the, the getting people into home ownership and the financial freedom that it provides people, I wouldn't, I would, I would have given up, but I actually enjoy this. And so for that reason alone, I, I, I've stuck through it and I continue to stick through it and you got, and I, I'll tell you, you got to love it. You, yeah. you, I don't know what the point is that it's going to push you to go ahead and, and take that entrepreneurial jump. Um, and it's going to be scary and it should be scary you should have a level of fear in doing it because that's what makes us human. You know, it's that fear that keeps us safe, safe, keeps our families safe. But, you know, someone once told me in very early on in my sales career, I was very lackadaisical about how I approach sales. And he told me, you're not scared enough. He goes, <laughs> you don't wake up with enough fear. Yeah. And this was a, this guy is cool to the bone. And he goes, I wake up every day scared to death. And I'm like, oh, shit. And now that resonates with me. That's awesome. You know, yeah. And my wife's looking at me and she'll look at me and be like, you're just, you're calm. 
how are you not freaking out? You know, I'll get a file. I'll tell her, oh, my God, I think I might lose. I, I, we, everyone else thinks they're about to lose a loan. I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, they're, we're going to lose the escrow. This family's going to be homeless. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the next day, she's like, you okay? Like, you had that file? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was in the so, weeds. Now I'm good. Now I'm good. I'm yeah. out. I'm out. And maybe, and that's what it is. And maybe I got that from the restaurant industry. It's the the adrenaline that you get from being in that pressure cooker and being in that pressure yeah. moment. That I think it's that that I did it. That I'm addicted to, like overcoming that success yeah. and overcoming that challenge is is what I think you know really drives me is being able to is to feel that again. Yeah, yeah. I think you always knew the shift would end, right? You always knew the shift would end, but you have to start over tomorrow. And I think, like you said, I think for a lot of us with the entrepreneurial spirit, is you want that, you want to know that, like, well, what could go wrong today? But knowing that it'll end, I could solve it in the day too, is also somewhat exciting. I do. We got a few minutes left. I do want to hit on one topic though, because you did mention, you know, kind of going to FIU and your marketing background and all that. Um, And we know this is a quote unquote slow time of year, right? Um, you know, we're we're going into December and and things are slowing down. But I want to talk about marketing in in itself because you kind of understand this. How important is it to be marketing yourself? I mean, I know some people see social media as a as a toy. Some people so see social media as a tool. I mean, how how are you utilizing and why is it so important to utilize social media in your business no matter what you're doing? So yeah, that's great. And we're right now I'm focused on looking at my social media more as business media. Um, we have a within the company, and that's why I love working for the bank that I work for because they give us so many resources. We have a new social media coach or, or marketing coach that we've hired, and he's our he's our basically like a sales coach kind of as well. Um, and he's taught us to look at this as business media, and he says this all the time: it's better to be heard first than to, or better be known first than to introduce yourself. You know, and and. And social media allows us to do that in in a way that, you know, they don't have to know us. They've never had to meet us before, but they can know us. And doing that, you know, in my business, a lot of banks and a lot of business professionals, they still cold call. If you've got your business media, your social media intact and right, and you're spreading your word and you're all over the place, that cold call is not really a cold call anymore. It's a warm call. So it's, and for most people, I think the challenge is understanding the difference, like what is marketing and what's the function of marketing within business. And someone said this to me earlier this month, it's education and entertainment. That's what the, that's what the, the, the silo or the department of marketing is supposed to support sales is something completely different entering the sales process that's something you know we're, we're talking about products and stuff like that but the marketing is got to be either educational or entertaining and you, and you think about it through advertising i mean insurance companies are best at advertising and stuff and that most of the time it's it's entertaining yeah, you know, it's, it's Jake in the get-go, you know, I mean, come on, like no one remembers anyone else but that, you know. Oh yeah, or or mayhem, you know, anytime that we see someone, yeah, something yeah, wrong, it's yeah, like, oh, you're flow, mayhem, right? Flow from progressive, I and mean, we go down the list, right? Exactly. So, um, and I think, I mean, we're in a big shift because obviously you have a generation that, and you, you kind of touched on it, that we we grew up with the rise of technology. And then you've got another generation that they only knew technology. They, all of this technology is all they've known. So it's there's a shift in business and especially in, in, in sales right now as far as 
what to do. You know, how, how do you push social media? You know, it's even like, what do you say on, on social media and stuff like that and marketing? And do you ask for the sale? Like we were, we were in a meeting yesterday and it's like, no more saying, Hey guys, you know, so it's very specific. And now you've got AI and how you look at AI. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's, and I think for what I would say for most salespeople, the job is, especially right now at the end of the year, as you prepare, prepare for getting into next year, lay everything out. Don't bombard yourself with a ton of things that you need to accomplish before the end of the year on the table because it'll overflow you and you, you'll get nothing. There's no activity. Focus on the things that I think drive the drive revenue to to drive the revenue the fastest. For me right now, it's overcoming this the uh, and understanding AI and how it can make my life easier, especially with social media. Social media is very scary to me, um, and so that's one thing that I'm going to that I've tasked myself with going into January. Right now, I'm preparing myself as far as how to build a content calendar, how to go ahead and what resources I need to have because it's consistency too. The biggest yeah. thing with social media is consistency and you know that. I mean, sure. you're you're consistent and you do a great job. I think, I remember, I think your first Facebook Live when, when <laughs> they first promoted Facebook Live, you're, I think you were walking your dog. You're like, let's see what this is all about. Yeah. It, that's all it is sometimes, guys. Yep. You know, it's just going that's out true. there and some of those, I put motivational stuff, I post a lot of motivational stuff. Some of that gets a lot of, but sometimes it's just a picture of me and my kids, me working yeah. out. You know, it's 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 your business card. Yeah, well, I tell everyone that too. And, and you remember, I was doing the dancing on Facebook Live for the longest. And I did it for like a year, year and a half, maybe two, I think at most. But I haven't done it for a good four years. There's still people that come up to me and be like, I love your dancing on Facebook. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I haven't done that in like four years. I'm like, okay, great. I think it's like you said, it's building the relationship and making the connection. It's almost being the guy behind the bar, right? Um, it's 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 being there and connecting with the people. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's the fun and entertaining. And I think so many people though, or fun and educational. I mean, so many people fear the fun though. And you know, and and we talked about the Noodlebergs earlier. I think they're a great example of of that balance of fun and education. But when you go, especially with LinkedIn, I think a lot of people are scared to have fun on LinkedIn. I know they even challenge me. Like I'm like, okay, like because I post you know a lot of my stuff, but I'm like, let me post some different fun stuff of just like the family weekend and things like that. And there's a reason that stuff gets a lot of engagement, right? It's because like like people want to get to know you. So it's like when they see you, like you said. So now when I go to a networking event, and, and I I told my wife this the other day, I went to the. Uh, the guy's night out thing. And I think you saw the post I did about that. I'm like, I was nervous. Um, cause I'm always nervous to go to an event, but it's amazing how comfortable you are once you get there. Cause you have stuff to talk to people about cause they've seen you on social media and you've seen them, right? Like, it's like, it's, it's a little bit less awkward. It, it kind of goes away. I think it's, it's a great connection. Um, so you I think I, so. question, do you think that that, that reservation is, has anything to do with us being guys? No, because I think I know even my wife's the same way. She she's not a big. I think I think most people. You know what it is. I think men and women both don't like small talk. We can't stand people. I think people in general can't stand them. Oh, it's fucking how's the weather, right? Like, <laughs> I think it's people just don't like small talk. We crave, and I think it's gotten more. And I think you hit the nail on the head. When you were a kid and you went and played outside, it didn't matter what other kids were there. There was the combination of like, hey, we're outside. You got a ball. I got a ball. Let's play baseball, kickball. Let's go drink out of the hose. Let's beat the crap out of each other. And be like, your best friend was usually the kid you got in a fight with, right? Like when you were a kid. We don't have that sort of synergy now in that connection. So I think the anxiety is I think people aren't making genuine connections anymore. So when you go out, I think we don't know how to do it, to be honest with you. I think the anxiety for everybody is based on a lack of genuine connections and a lack of honesty 
in relationships, in my opinion. So I think if you're, I think social media, you mentioned consistency. If you're really true to who you are, like, and, and you kind of mentioned it, like, you know, the Noodlebergs, you go on, Steve Noodleberg, he may have changed what he did and, and how he's doing it, but it's still Steve. If you look at a post from, from last week, last year, or 10 years ago, it's Steve. You know what I mean? It's Steve, yeah. um, it, it's, it, and I think that authenticity is there. Um, and I think you even mentioned in the restaurant industry, the people that survive are the people that don't get caught up in what's unauthentic. It's the people that survive that get caught up in what's authentic, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you're, and I think LinkedIn is is definitely the one challenge. Noodlebergs do a great job of that. And Mark is sure. with the content that he puts out and, the, and how he's able to connect it seamlessly without even talking about business. He just brings it, it makes sense in a business aspect, in a business platform. And yeah. um, I, that's definitely one of my goals this year and what I'm trying to prepare myself for. Um, so that that way, I hit January. We talked about it off offline. I mean, if you wait till January to get yourself ready for January, you're not going to get started till February or March. That's good. Well, well, I'll tell you, as somebody who's in marketing, I mean, you you you've done great on the podcast. You got a lot of great talking points, a lot of great sound bites. Um, so I I definitely am. I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to. I know we're in the same accountability now. Uh, now in the on the ball club, so um, we'll be able to hold each other accountable to that. But I, I think you you got a lot of great talking points. You got a great things. One last serious question, though, because I know you mentioned attending a Catholic school. Um, and when you attended Archbishop McCarthy, you were not allowed to have a beard. Is this just a rebellion, the long beard from high school? <laughs> it, it's long. I was it's actually. Long. I What's the goal? Shame. How long are we going with that? No, this, it's been longer before. It has been longer oh, uh. before. And so I get I get the names thrown out there every once in a while. My my father-in-law calls me Fidelito, so that always drives. I, I oh, like, boy. It's the young Fidel, the handsome one. Now, now you can't unsee it. Now that you said it, I can't unsee it. I didn't see it before, but oh, man. <laughs> no, but it, my wife likes it. And I, I've gone, I've shaved it a couple of times, and yeah. it feels so awkward. And if you ask anyone that has a beard, I think we all feel like as soon as we shave this part, we have no chance. We lose yeah. our chance. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So that's I, funny. I I remember you kids every time, like uh, after they graduated, the kids would always come back, you know, their freshman year of college, and they would all have the long beard just out of like, ha look, <laughs> I've got facial oh, yeah. hair now, and you can't say anything. Facial hair and long hair. Well, I they, always try to push it, but thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it looks great. It looks great. And it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a reunion if I didn't get a little ribbon there on the beard, right? So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I appreciate that. I can't thank you enough for being on. This has been amazing. I do have a few questions to ask all my guests at the end, if that's okay with you. A little quick uh, rapid fire to see kind of where you stand on certain issues in life. There is no wrong answer. We're just curious to know where you're at. Sound good? Let's go. All right. First one, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Come there on. Blue that bubble a, that all the way. boy. <laughs> Mac or PC? PC. Okay, all right. No one's perfect. Uh, Google Drive or Dropbox? Dropbox. Okay, there you go. See, I like a Dropbox guy. I like a Dropbox guy. And a uh, podcast recommendation for the audience can be this one, can be one that you enjoy. Podcast recommendation, the Loan Officer Podcast. Loan Officer. For anyone that's in sales, they do a great job of covering sales and entrepreneurship as well as obviously my industry, being a loan officer. Awesome. And a book recommendation. The psychology of money. Every entrepreneur, mm. very important. If you have anyone that is graduating from high school, anyone should really read this book. It is a fantastic book. Love it. Love it. We'll definitely put links to that below in the bottom. And more importantly, I, I got to call you Nathan because it's just, you know, that's how I know you. Uh, <laughs> but if people do want to connect with you and they want to get to know you more, what's the best way for them to, to do that? 
Uh, you can reach me uh, through my social media. My Instagram handle is going to be at Nathan.Andrew13. 13 was my lucky number, you know, growing up South Florida. Damn Marino, Marino, baby. Damn Marino. (laughs) So that's the easiest way to reach me. And you can go ahead and DM DM me through there and we can connect offline through the phone after that. Awesome. Awesome. We'll put those links down below as well. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I love that you said the the you guys thing. And this is like one last point because, um, Drawing a blank on his name now. There's a guy I used to follow you say that all the time. He's like, when you're on a podcast or you're on a Facebook, you're talking to one person. There's not there's not like a crowd of people watching the podcast. It's one-on-one. So I love this. So that's why I say at the end of every podcast, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. And for more great episodes like this, visit startdown.com for about me, Mike and I will see you on the next episode.